Welcome to another Cake Cut interview. My name is Andreas, and uh, I'm very happy to be sitting with digitally, of course. Today, an up-and-coming filmmaker, visual artist, um, pro- let's call her a prodigy of sorts. She's only 21, and she's already working on numerous projects. So we're going to be discussing her short film, Ghost City, today, as well as a TV series titled God Bless America, th- which is currently in production. So I'm very excited to discuss pretty much all of the above. Please uh, join me in welcoming Jaden Del Bello. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm I'm good. Oh, just so you know, God Bless America isn't in production. It's just written. It's just written. Okay. Well, it's it's in pre-production. Yes, pre-production. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, sorry. I should I should rephrase that. It's 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 in production of sorts. It's in pre-production and it's infantile stages. But yes, uh, it's it's being worked on nonetheless. And uh, I mean, regardless, it's uh, you know whether it's a short film and a feature film. That's one thing. But like to be to be working on a on a, on a television series. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty ambitious. Yeah, it, it really is. I had a lot of time on my hands at the height of the pandemic. So I just kind of hyper-focused on it and went a bit crazy. But I'm glad that I did it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the pandemic, uh, I would argue for the most part, has been, you know, when it comes to production and creativity, has has been kind of like this this blessing for a lot of people who needed that time to stay at home and really commit to a lot of their projects. Did you find it was the same way? Oh, totally. Um, I dropped out of film school at the start of the pandemic. Uh, just for reference, I went to the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan, and I dropped out halfway during my second year. And I came home and uh, was living with my parents for like – a year and in a bit. And I just was so bored and was also it kind of like having to be alone and kind of deal with trauma and life and stuff and reflect on that was kind of a big journey for me. So I just uh, focused on this show and, and, and wrote it and then finished drafts of it and then got a bunch of my friends to hop on the projects as well. There's a bunch of co-writers that are other people that I went to film school with that hopped on the project. And now I'm looking for a literary agent, which is pretty crazy. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity otherwise if I had stayed in school, if the pandemic never happened. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to, cause it sounds like, you know, you had to deal with a lot of change and adjustment, but it's, it's, it's something when you pull gold out of, out of what could have been a tumultuous situation, you know, okay. uh, you were at this threshold, but now you, it sounds like you've gotten something really good out of it. Oh yeah. Um, I, that's kind of like my, my life motto, like the, co- the concept of recycling, a tumultuous situation or a traumatic situation into art or like a script or anything is, is really an important process for me and uh, you know, hopefully to help other people with it and make the world a better place and stuff. So I call it the recycling process. It's interesting that you bring that up, this recycling process and finding good within, within the tough, because I do know, according to your, to your website, which we will link in, in the article that this podcast is going to be associated with um, 
that you you mention uh, auteurs like Guillermo del Toro and Tim Burton as influences or some of your favorite filmmakers and um, what they do all the time is try to find warmth within the bats like Guillermo del Toro you know romanticizes or brings life and joy to like what are often considered monstrous figures like the creature from the black lagoon and shape of water. And Tim Burton yeah. does something similar when it comes to like teenhood experiences or dark settings and elements. Totally. Yeah, definitely. Those were, those two were massive inspirations on uh, just, not just my filmmaking, but also like my way of life and my process, uh, particularly Tim Burton, like, he was pretty much uh, the gate, like my love for him was the gateway to pursuing film. And uh, I've always been like a huge Tim Burton fan since I was very young, like literally like two and a half years old. We're going to get into some of your favorite works towards the end of the episode, because I like getting uh, people who love visual mediums to gush about them and, and yes. really like, you know, profess their, uh, their love for cinema and or television. But um you know, it's a great place to, to continue is when you were younger. So it sounds like you were um, kind of into the cinematic arts from a very young age. Like what was maybe like the turning point where you went from an avid film watcher to being somebody who was like, I want to do this for a living? Yeah. Um, so I always I, I thought at one point that I wanted to be a musician, but then I developed like really bad social anxiety and could not like stand the idea of me on a stage or me having to have like I wanted to be behind something instead of in front of it. And mm -hmm. I I always loved film. I just didn't this is such a weird thing, but I didn't even consider that women could be film directors at a certain point when I was younger. Like I had never like even seen a woman's name on a DVD cover or in a trailer or anything. I just, I literally just didn't even consider that women could make films until Catherine Bigelow won ah, the yes. Oscar uh, for best director. And I remember sitting there with my mom and being like, whoa, like this is an insane moment in time. And that was the turning point for me because I was editing from a very young age, like on iMovie and Final Cut Pro, like literally like I was five years old when I started editing videos. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. And you know, fantastic shout out to uh, Catherine Bigelow, who's one of the greats. Yeah, yeah, I was nonplussed when she won best best director. I thought for sure it was going to be James Cameron, but I was like, mm -hmm. nah, it's it's got to be Bigelow. And yeah, yeah I, I remember that as well. And it's devastating because I cover the uh, the Academy Awards a lot on Films Fatale. Um, it's devastating that it took like pretty much like seventy to eighty years for the first woman to win. I'm like. There hasn't been no, not a single good movie by women in eighty years. Like, get get out of here when you have like no, so I mean, many iconic filmmakers. Yeah, um, but I I also love Catherine Bigelow too, and I love that she her work kind of breaks gender binaries in the sense that it's like almost like hyper masculine. Yeah, and it's not really something aesthetically female, and like uh, unlike maybe something like Sofia Coppola would do, which who I also adore. But I do like have that extra like respect for Catherine Bigelow, just kind of breaking boundaries on what 
the female gazes or hypothetically what, what that may be truthfully, the female gaze, yeah. you know, unless you're dealing with feminist issues itself, it doesn't really exist. Like women can make films about anything or have a certain aesthetic that can be masculine or feminine or both or whatever. But yeah, that was, she's definitely very important to me. Yeah, because her stuff is really gritty, like especially this renaissance that she's had ever since Hurt Locker, because like if you look at Detroit or Zero Dark Thirty, those are also like really grim films. And I do know that Zero Dark Thirty has like a female protagonist or, um, you know, like, like let's say main character at the forefront, but it's not like, yeah, it's it's not like what a lot of people have created the stigma around what female filmmakers should be or are making. You're absolutely right that it like breaks a lot of uh, preconceived bigoted conceptions. Right. Totally. Yeah. I, that's one of the main reasons why I love her. Yeah. So once you saw this Oscar win, what was the, you know, the next step you said you were already editing, like what kind of stuff were you editing at that age? I uh, would take, this is so funny because we're literally talking about like the beginnings of the internet. So um, like there wasn't a screen recording tool embedded in, in Macs back then you have to like download software that could screen record YouTube. And there also wasn't like YouTube to MP4 or whatever. Right. Um, so I would literally take screenshots from, like TV shows that I like, like I was a huge Batman fan growing up. And also I was really into like the Winx club and I would take like screenshots and make stop motion videos from oh, our so cool. like existed. Yeah. If you dig deep enough, you can like the account is literally still up and I will never disclose it or leak it, but it's pretty funny. Um, yeah. But I used to do that pretty much 24 seven, uh, like, growing up. And then uh, once I kind of decided that this was the field that I wanted to go into, I started kind of making skits with friends and stuff like they weren't like shorts or anything. But it was just kind of exercising, I guess, editing or just scripting and stuff like that. I don't know. And it wasn't until high school where I was like, super, super serious about it. You were also bringing up how you were into music. I know it's like an aside, but while we're at this this stage of your, um, let's say, your artistry, I have to ask because I'm also like a music geek as well. What were you listening to? What did you play? Um, so I background him on my mom because she's really the person who kickstarted um, my love for music. But my mom was uh, a DJ on CFMY like in, in the 80s and had a show called The Alternative Bedtime Hour. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but... A little, you know, actually, yeah. Yeah, so that's my mom. And it, it was pretty much like really just like um, kind of gothy, kind of post-punk, uh, new wave, 80s, 90s, dark stuff. Like... Um, you know, like Depeche Mode or like Susie Sue and the Banshees and stuff like that. Um, so cool. Yeah. So that was like my early influences. I was listening to like Susie Sue and the Banshees when I was like eight or nine. And I remember like her album Kaleidoscope, particularly song like Red Light. Like I, it was like the top played song on my, on my iPod, which is so funny in retrospect. Like I don't, I don't, 
like <laughs> I don't think about how funny that is like for an eight-year-old I was also like reading like Edgar Allan Poe and like Lord Byron and like listening to Susie oh my Susie. goodness really, like the OG goth weirdo um growing up but yeah definitely all those influences contributed to my love for music and and stuff like that <laughs> and those are also some very visual um musicians especially somebody like Susie uh, Susie Sue where you you know she's got like the makeup game going on you know the album yeah. cover aesthetics and music videos yeah speaking of visuals like and bands that kind of have like a visual aesthetic attached to it or like a consistent aesthetic along with their albums and music. Like I was a massive gorillas. I still am like gorillas are my favorite band of all time, pretty much. And they were the first band that I like seriously got into and obsessed with because there wasn't just music. There was also, you know, lore attached to it and like cartoonish comic book visuals and stuff. Like I, I liked Jamie Hewlett for like, I think that's how I discovered it because because of Tank Girl and stuff right. like that. But yeah, I got really deep into Gorillas. Do you remember that Gorillas website where it was like you could go into the studio and drive yes, the, the Demon 19... Days era? The exactly. Yeah. Oh my yes. god, it's so weird because I think around like when I was you know also a kid, I was like ten when the cel- yeah the debut came out, and I was like similarly. I think there's this hold that gorillas so like damon alburn and jimmy hewlett have on on pop culture where it's like it doesn't matter what era it is somebody grew up on them so like even like plastic beach which i think is like their best their best album if not demon days um or even now i feel like there are kids growing up on the humans era like it's there's something about the lore and everything it's it's a shame that the website is gone because like yeah. that was like hours yeah. wasted of my youth. Or not wasted. Oh my god, same. That's I actually forgot about that until you mentioned it. I'm so glad that you meant like unlocked this memory in my brain. I was also obsessed with that website. But yeah. Oh yeah, like the 92000 Jeep, you could drive it around. Oh yeah, like 10-year-old me was like th- that felt like an upgrade from Neopets. I was like, "No, nah, this is this is mature cuz they play dark music. They they Yeah, rap. totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very appealing. It was so much more appealing to do that than like be on Webkins or whatever as like a goth like neurodivergent like weird kid growing up. I was like, "This is this is it. This is the peak of the internet." <laughs> Well, on that note, um, you know, we could we could gush about nostalgia forever, but at the same time, I feel like this all has to lead somewhere. And this eventually, you know, your um, your experience with editing and storytelling from such a young age, your um, inspirations, which clearly are all you know storytellers in their own right, like you know, ranging from Susie Susie Sue and what she was pulling off of her lyrics to like Gorillas, which were like literally like world building for like an imaginary band when did you make your first film your first short oh my god i made a first short in the eighth grade uh called the paracosm i'm pretty sure and that's like i I think that's like a synonym for like an imaginary friend or like a you know i guess a flashier way of saying imaginary friend and it was like a script kind of like a horror script i was really big into horror at that time and I wrote it with my friend uh, Jacqueline, and we just kind of wrote a script and and made this DIY short film. It's like so it's so embarrassing in retrospect. I, I don't even have um, 
like footage of it anymore. It's just kind of lost in time. But that was kind of like my first go at it. And where did that lead to? Because we've, uh, like, even myself, I've, like, made my own first things, and I'm, like, a little ashamed of it. But, like, what was, like, then uh, what came afterwards, like, your first film that you were able to, like, show at, like, film festivals? Because I do know that your latest short actually was a part of the festival circuit, which I think is just astonishing. Yeah. Um, so I think the first film that I that did really well uh, was a f- the first film that got into festivals was a short film called Retrograde, and it was a part of the 62nd film festival at my high school. And it got into like, uh, I-, I can't remember what the film festivals were off by hand, but they were kind of smaller, more independent ones. And then I did a another 60 second. Um, do, are you familiar with Tough? It was a festival that um, the Toronto Urban Film Festival. Yes. Yeah. I'm not like super familiar, but I, I, I know of it. Yeah. So I and they had I got in the year that they had um, like the silent. It was a silent 60 second film festival that they were playing in subway stations. At That's the so cool. Yeah, and so I not only had my silent short, a silent short film played on, at the TTC, but also I ended up winning an award through them for best up and coming filmmaker, which was pretty big. That was like the biggest award that I got, I think, in in high school. Yeah, that was crazy. I had to go on stage at everything at the Gladstone too, and like give a speech and stuff. But yeah, that was. That was pretty cool. Probably first speech of many, it sounds like. And shout out to uh, Etobicoke. Sounds like you're part of my 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 stopping grounds, West End. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that's like silent film. Like how many, how many, I'm going to say kids because you were younger and you were in high school. How many kids are interested in silent film? Like that's, especially nowadays, I feel like that's just so so interesting like you're not finding many many people okay a lot of people are nostalgic maybe for the 90s and 80s but to go so far back that you're like trying to represent like you know the 1920s of cinema and what that was like like uh what was that like or were you trying to stay more modern with your approach to silent filmmaking Yeah, so technically the images were a part of a a music video project that I did at my high school, and I kind of reworked it to kind of tell a a story, and it was just like a, a collage of different visuals that were edited together that had an artist statement along with it, and it was a bit of like an impromptu decision, but... The, the images were initially a part of a project at school that I just kind of reworked. It wasn't like the goal wasn't really to create a silent film. Like there wasn't much of a narrative. Immig- like it, it, when I say that there wasn't much of a narrative, I mean like there was no subtitles or anything instead of people talking. But it was like a story that was just told through images, I guess, to evoke certain feelings in in the person watching it but you could tell what the film was about or the kind of overarching statement it was it was pretty much about um like nihilism (laughs) honestly I was really into um Harmony Kareen at the time I I still am I love him he's one of my favorite film directors and I uh had a cottage in 
Crystal Beach, which is this very strange beach town uh, in near Fort Erie that used to there used to be an amusement park there, but the amusement amusement park got torn down, and then it's just it kind of looks like there's one street called Hot Dog Alley that it looks like an abandoned part of a a like maybe like a street in an amusement park. It's very colorful and it, you know, was like very working class and falling apart, tons of abandoned buildings and stuff. And um, I, yeah, I filmed a lot of it there and it was kind of reflecting this, this, I guess, like a state of mind where you felt like you were trapped and that you were never going to leave the certain environment, whether that be a town or like a, state of mind i guess that's so gummo because you bring up like uh harmony Korean, and we might even be talking about it later i'm not sure what your favorite film of his is but yeah that's, that's exactly it where it's not necessarily a story or a set of characters it's a mindset it's a setting it's like an environment like a very hostile environment but a different way to tell stories for sure yeah yeah totally so now where does that leave ghost story like how did that come about your your latest short yeah so ghost city was oh, sorry ghost the, city yeah the last project that i did at um at film school and i was it, i went above and beyond like the requirements for the project because it was supposed to be between like one and five minutes but i ended up creating this 20 minute almost 20 minute short like I, I had no budget for it. Like it was so impromptu, but I had this idea for the short and it was kind of based off of um, really personal elements of my own life and also um, my, what my best friend was going through at the time. And I just felt like I needed to get something out in, in film or I felt like I needed to express what we were going through and at the time that summer before um, I guess I started that year of college. So that's kind of how ghost city came about. And I had, look, I made some amazing friends in film school. Like my friends that I met in, in college are some of the best people I've ever met ever. And they were so supportive and are like, pretty much the only reason why that project really came to fruition. And uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for them and that it happened because that was a really important milestone for my filmmaking. It sounds like a lot of your storytelling and filmmaking comes from, um, I guess, trying to figure out what you're going through and uh, compartmentalizing it in your own way. Um, do you foresee, like, is this like, it sounds like it's a great outlet, but at the same time, do you foresee yourself um, ever trying to venture outside of storytelling in a way that you're trying to envision what life is like as somebody else, or you're trying to reach things that aren't personal, or do you view cinema in your own way to be like a very personal experience and you want to keep it that way? Um, I think I definitely like once I, once I make, or once I do my first couple, um, I'm like full length films, I guess in the future, I'm down to venture out and like completely, you know, read someone else's script and then, and then bring it to life without writing it. But I do think that I'm never going to be able to let go of how, how personal of an experience it is and process it is. So 
whatever I do, uh, there's always going to be a very personal element attached to it, I feel. Like, I don't think that I could ever, or I would read someone else's script and relate to it or see parts of myself in it, or there's one character in it that is, you know, based off of so-and-so or based off of me in, like, a a small way or, I don't know. Like, I don't think I could ever see myself making films without having kind of like a like an auteur (laughs) like director writer uh perspective attached to it um but yeah no that's that's very fair and I feel like cinema is so many different things to so many different people and um this is what your version of it is and I feel like um yeah, because you've introduced so much, and I feel like uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna post a link to your site and and everything so people can check out some of your stuff. Um, now we get into the the little fun bit at the end where it's like, what does cinema mean to to you, to Jaden? Uh, what are some of your favorite films and or TV series of all time? Um. Hmm. Okay. So. <laughs> In regards to TV shows, uh, my f- definitely my favorite TV show of all time is uh, The Sopranos. Like, it really can't get better for me in that regard. I really love that TV show. Um, I'm definitely way more into movies than TV. Like, I appreciate TV for more 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 so. Like, it's like a distraction for me. Mm-hmm. But I uh, feel very strongly about certain films, like. Um, Again, Tim Burton movies. My favorite film of all time is American Beauty. Oh, I uh, love it. Yeah, that's my favorite film of all time. Uh, American History X, Lehane. Um, yeah, Donnie Darko. All those films are very important to me. Coraline, Night Before Christmas, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, like those are like my all time picks personally. So very much in the spirit of like 90s and 2000s, uh, cold yet warm cinema, like finding, um, finding not necessarily hope, especially in the case of like American Beauty is certainly not a hopeful film, but finding solace or belonging in the mundane, whether it's um, the Civil War of Spain in Pan's Labyrinth or in everyday capitalist america chasing the american dream and american beauty it's it's all about finding one's place amidst whatever our our surroundings are yeah totally totally um definitely that's definitely important i feel like the 90s and the early 2000s is my like favorite time ever in in film history all of my favorite films seem to come out of that time period and I mean I don't know what it is but I just feel like there was such a raw uh like human element to a lot of those things like filmmaking really felt alive during that period of time and there was kind of like an emphasis on you know either having midlife crises or like coming of age that I feel like um I don't know I just have like an interest in that in regards to my own genres that I pursue in, in filmmaking in my, in my own life. Um, and yeah, Harmony Kareen, Larry Clark, all that stuff, huge influences, uh, on, on me. 
What is your, uh, just out of interest, what is your favorite Harmony Korine film? Is it also Gummo like myself or is it? Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's Gummo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like people do not see people feel very strongly about that film, whether they like it or not. And I think it really takes a certain type of person to really get that film. And I'm one of those people. I feel very strongly about that film. And so does my friend, Julia. Like we were really big Harmony Korean friends, but a lot of people think it's cringy. A lot of people think it's shock for the sake of shock, whatever. People feel a certain type of way about Harmony Korean in general, but I'm like his number one defender. Like, yeah. Next to Werner Herzog. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'm not as much of a big Werner Herzog fan, to be honest. I think, yeah, I, I really tried, but I just never, I, I couldn't really get into it. Like, my ADHD would not allow me to like Werner Herzog. That's all good. I'll like Werner Herzog for the both of us, but he's like a yeah. massive Harmony Korine fan, even like. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, he really saw the potential in, in Harmony Korine in the 90s when people were like you know, not taking him seriously. He was just like a, a weird 19 year old who just ended up in the film industry, like on accident. Well, when <laughs> you write like, kids, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Or when he ended up on Letterman, like the, those interviews are like the best things on YouTube. Oh God. I forgot about those. And he, he actually got like banned from Letterman. Cause I, I think they were like, I don't know how to deal with this guy. No, he stole from Meryl Streep's purse. Oh, that's what it was as well. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot that that was like the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back. It was, uh, I mean, it's, Mer- it's Meryl Streep. I mean, what is he doing? I know, I know. But, you know, what an icon. <laughs> well, I certainly hope that this is going better than the uh, than the Harmony Korean Letterman interviews. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, it, it has. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have like planned facetious jabs for every single answer that you have. Oh, no, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, as we're wrapping up, I feel like the, the, you know, the floor is yours. Feel free to plug whatever you want to promote anything, to discuss anything, to let me know if I've, uh, if I've uh, Harmony careened it up. Like just, just let me know anything. Um, Yeah. So I, I am more than anything, like really excited to announce that once this podcast is posted, I'm also posting a petition uh, to help me get signed to a literary agent. So pretty much for the past year or so, I no, not year. I started in April. I started a TikTok account in April and built a following in regards to mental health advocacy and also uh, my my TV show, and um, I have ten point two k now on TikTok, which is pretty cool. Uh, so if you're listening and uh, want to follow my TikTok or learn a bit more about my TV show, you can visit at you know me JDB on TikTok. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's got like a nice ring to it. Yeah, yeah. And all, yeah, it's, I'm super excited about um, God Bless America more than anything. I really think it's going to change the world. And yeah, um, definitely look out for that. Hopefully, I can really, I can, we can get into um, production or get greenlit in, in the next year. Like, that's my hope. Um, 
but I've accomplished a lot already just with my TikTok. And that kind of happened as a fluke by accident. And then I just rolled with it. And now I'm a content creator, which is pretty cool. But yeah. Well, I'm so happy to hear it. And around the time of these various productions and or successes, um, we would love to have you back. Thank you so much for your time today. Of course. Thank you. Thank you.